text for the sermon this morning is from Amos 5, verse 4. Read that verse again. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just witnessed a baptism here this morning. And what makes the baptism of a a baby like that so wonderful is that it shows that God seeks us out before we seek him. A baby can't seek him. A baby like Liam doesn't have the ability to do that yet. But not only does a baby not have the ability to seek the Lord God, a baby doesn't even have the desire inside there to seek God. None of us wants to seek God out of ourselves. Because of our fall, we by nature want to stay away from God. We want to live lives our own way. We want to follow our own thoughts and our own feelings. By nature, we, we don't want to, want to seek God. And that's why, as the form for baptism says, we are by nature children of wrath, subject to condemnation. That's how we are by nature in ourselves. If God didn't seek us out first, we wouldn't be saved. We'd never enter God's kingdom to be with him forever. But the beautiful thing is God holds out his hands to us and he shows us in baptism he wants to be our God, our Redeemer. And that's why he gave his son. That's why his son gave his life. That's why his son obtained for us the life-giving spirit. He wants to give us life with him as his children and heirs in Christ. So he seeks us, but then we also are called to seek him. I don't know if you noticed it, but in every single song we sang, the word seek is in it. All the way through the Psalms, you have seek the Lord. We, he sought us, now we also can and need to seek him. And I preach to you that call of the Lord in the text, seek me and live. We'll consider two questions in connection with that call. Who said this and how does one seek him? Who says this? Congregation, that sounds like kind of a redundant question, right? It says at the beginning of the text, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. It's obvious that the Lord, the God of the covenant says this, Yahweh, that's the Lord in capital letters. Yahweh, God of the covenant, he says this to his people, his covenant people, not just in general, all over the place, no, to he's directing that call to his covenant people here, the ones he sought out, he says, seek me and live, but we can think this through a little bit here, in our baptism, the Lord says to us, I sought you to be mine, so seek me, and that that makes that a very authoritative and personal command or call. It's not somebody else in the text who says, 
seek the Lord. If someone comes to you and says, so-and-so says that you're invited to their place, you still might think, sure, that's what you say, but I wonder if that person really wants me to come to their place. They didn't ask me personally. But if that person came to you and said to you face to face, come on over to my place, I'm sure then you would really know that they want you to come. You'd know for sure. So it is in the text. It's not the prophet or a minister who says, seek me. If that was the case, you'd think, or seek the Lord. If that was the case, you'd think, sure, that's what others say, but am I really welcome with the Lord? But it's the Lord who himself says here, seek me. Seek me. See, and that's what's good for office bearers to know, too. When you, for instance, make a home visit in the congregation, you don't have to tell the people you visit what you think or your opinion or so, what you think of them and their relationship. You can pass on to those you visit that the Lord himself says in his word, seek me. And that also means that he wants to be sought and to be found, to be known by you. He has given us his word so he can be found and known. He has revealed himself in the Bible. That's where he makes himself available to be found by his children. And that's why it's so hurtful to him if we leave our Bibles closed at home or if we unnecessarily skip worship or if we don't make the effort to study God's word with others, that grieves him. He feels slighted. I sought you out and now you're not seeking me? And that, that's something we have to examine ourselves about. For in our baptism, our covenant God says, I sought you and I want you to now seek me and know me. I want to give you the life that is in me that I promised you in Christ my son. I want to give that to you. So seek it. Seek me. And of course, you might say that's the whole message of the Bible. All through the Bible, God calls people in general to seek him and to live. You don't need baptism for that. It's all through the Bible, and that's true. But in baptism, the Lord personalizes and intensifies that call to seek him. He lets you know that in his grace, he sought you out personally in the first place. And then you might have times in your life when you very much need to know that. Times when you seek the Lord. I'm such a miserable sinner. I brought a lot of guilt on myself by doing this. My heart is so hard. I don't seem to be able to change for the better. I can't imagine that God would want me even look at me. And when I call on him, nothing seems to change. Things just keep going wrong in my life. It is as if God is rejecting me. I can hardly believe that he wants me. It says so in the Bible, but... But you were baptized. God put his name on you. Seek me. God knew who you were and what you would become. He knew that you could be stubborn and pig-headed 
And nevertheless, he said to you at baptism, I want you. I want you. I want to save you from yourself. I want to save you in my son. See, congregation baptism under, underlines that, emphasizes that. We heard it in the form. If we sometimes, through weakness, fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. That stays. That mark of God's desire for you stays. Have you ever despaired because of your sins and weaknesses like that? Then you know how valuable baptism is. God wants me. He still wants me. He wants me forever. He always ready to welcome me when I seek him in repentance. He wants me to seek him. So God means it when he says, like in our text for this morning, seek me. And those words are, are spoken by our covenant God. There are two words for seek in the Hebrew language. And the one word means seeking something that's hidden from you, like something you've lost, and you're going to hunt for it, seeking it. Saul sought his father's donkeys. That word for seek is not the one used in the text. The text uses a different word, one that means fleeing to someone you know, seeking out someone for help or comfort or advice. Like King Asa who sought out physicians when he was deceased in his feet and he couldn't walk. That doesn't mean he didn't know where those physicians were and he had to hunt them up, no. But it means he sought them out for help, for comfort, for his disease. Well, that's how the Lord God calls us to seek him in our text. Come to me. Come to me for comfort, love, guidance, help. Come to me for deliverance. Come and learn to know me more and more. Keep coming to me. And what's there to know more and more about the Lord God so that we keep coming to him? Well, we heard a summary of that in the form for baptism. When Liam was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, God is the Father who wants to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. Seek that. And he's God the Son who wants to wash us in his blood from all our sins and present us as righteous before God. Seek it. And he's God the Spirit who wants to give us faith and wants to cleanse and renew our hearts and lives. Seek him. That's how he has made himself known through the Bible, throughout the Bible. Seek him then. That's something that parents need to teach their children from the Bible then too. Seek this God, his, your God. Seek him. So if you have to deal with evil, with hard things in your life, then he says too, seek me. If you have a heavy burden to bear in life, he says to you, seek me. If you feel a weight of guilt pushing you down, he says to you, seek me. 
if you have a hard time seeing, even just seeing your sins. He says to you, seek me. If you have a hard time overcoming temptation, he says, seek me. In time of grief, you have a hard time believing in the resurrection of the body. He says to you, seek me. And when you seek him then, you go to him again and again for help and guidance, deliverance, comfort. You know, deliverance from your own foolishness and guilt and unrepentance. And so you also truly come to know him. Know him as your gracious, loving God. And when you learn to know him like that, then you grow in love for him too. You realize how much love he has granted you and you grow to love him too. It's a wonderful growing process when a young man and young lady seek and find each other in love. They don't say, well, nice that we found each other now. Now we don't need to be together anymore. That's not the way it goes. They found each other. They want to get to know each other more and more. They seek each other out as often as possible. And then their love grows. So with the Lord God, we seek him out. How does one seek the Lord? That's the second part of the sermon. Seek me, says the Lord. How do you do that? Well, remember what we, that we spoke earlier about two words for seeking. The one means looking for something which you've lost and can't find. But when the Lord says in the text, seek me, he's not playing hide and seek with us. We don't have to hunt for him. He makes himself known. I'm here. We know where he is to be found in his word, in the Bible, at home. In his promises in his word, in the proclamation of the gospel in the worship services. In the Bible studies in the congregation, that's where the Lord can be sought out. That's where he makes himself known. When the Lord says, seek me, he means open your ears and your heart to my word, my promises. Make that a priority. Prayerfully listening to his word. That's how you seek the Lord. Open his word, call on him. Personally, every day in the home. Read the Bible regularly at home, his word. At mealtimes, for instance, maybe with the help of a good meditation booklet. The whole family present. Nowadays, that doesn't happen all the time. It's a holy time when all the family's at the table and the Bible is opened and read in all quietness, peacefulness. Don't let anything come in the way of seeking the Lord in his word like that. Congregation, turn the, turn the cell phones off, the smartphones. Make the, make the time. And then you also teach your children the importance of seeking the Lord in his word too and his promises. The importance of seeking the Lord who sought them out in the first place. And seeking the Lord together in the congregation. He's so great, so deep, so full of blessing. That no one by himself can come to know everything about him. We all have our preconceptions because of our character, our upbringing, our life experiences, our biases. Hey, We need others to seek the Lord rightly. To come to know him better and better as he has revealed himself to us. Others with different thoughts and insights and backgrounds 
can help us in that. It's maybe well-intentioned if you say, well, I'll seek the Lord on my own. I, I can get to know him from the Bible by myself. That's dangerous because we so easily start interpreting and thinking along our own track in a mistaken way about who the Lord is and, and how he wants us to live. It's presumptuous if we think we don't need others to seek the Lord. It's more than presumptuous, it's presumptuous if we say we know him enough. If we figure we've arrived and we don't actually need to seek him anymore. It's pure arrogance if we figure we know all there is to know about the Lord. We're his children. We've arrived. There's no need to seek him out in his word anymore. That's not love for the Lord anymore. Who sought you out in the first place? Well, congregation, the covenant people in Amos' days didn't figure they needed to seek out the Lord anymore. That they had arrived. You probably noticed that our text is part of a lamentation. Right in the first verse, hear this word which I take up against you. A lamentation, O house of Israel. A lamentation is a funeral song. It's a funeral dirge which the Lord raises against the house of Israel. They're still in their land, but the Lord mourns over them as if they're dead already. They're going to be taken off into Babylon, into captivity. And where there were a thousand, only going to be a hundred left. hundred, ten left. They're going down. You see, Amos lived in the northern kingdom of the ten tribes around the year 750 before Christ. A bit of Bible history here. You know how after the reign of King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two parts. There was Judah on the one hand, Judah and part of the tribe of Benjamin on the south with Jerusalem as capital. And there was the house of Israel, the 10 tribes in the north with Samaria as the capital. And the first king of the 10 tribes was Jeroboam. They, you remember how they said, it, it says time and again in the book of Kings, he walked in the ways of King Jeroboam, and that was a bad king, a sad king, an unbelieving king. Amos lived 150 years later in the time of another king who was also named Jeroboam, Jeroboam II. And during the reign of Jeroboam II, Israel was enjoying a time of great peace and prosperity. Economically and militarily, Israel, the ten tribes, was a nation to be reckoned with. So when the people heard Amos prophesying against them, warning them, they said, cut out that negativism. Things are going just fine here. We're enjoying good times, and if you're telling us the Lord wants us to seek him, that's what we're okay, we're, okay. we're doing that. We're bringing all kinds of sacrifices and celebrating all kinds of feast days in Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. Isn't that good enough? Stop the lamentations. And yes, on the surface, it'll all look very fine with Israel. And the people were bringing lots of sacrifices to those so-called holy places in the land. But the thing was, the Lord God had stated way back already, Jerusalem is where I live and where I want to be worshipped in the way I want to be worshipped. But the people of Israel sought the Lord in other places, Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba. And you know how Jeroboam I had set up the golden calf in Bethel so the people wouldn't go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord there anymore, tried to stop the people from going 
to, to Jerusalem. And Beersheba and Gilgal were special places in Israel's history. The people were making pilgrimages there too, but not to Jerusalem where the Lord told his people he lived and where he made himself known among them via the sacrifices and the law there. So the people of Israel, of the kingdom of the ten tribes, sought God in their own way, according to their own feelings, desires, and wishes. And they did so in order to keep the good and prosperous life they were enjoying at the time. And that can happen today too, right? Congregation? Seeking God in your own way, according to your own wishes and feelings, insofar as it suits you and allows you to enjoy the prosperity of these times. You live your life, do your work, enjoy your pleasures, take part in social life, all insofar as it suits you, then you also maybe seek God on the side. You see worship in church as more as a, of, a, of a kind of a tiresome duty than a dire necessity. God is the spare wheel instead of the steering wheel of your life. Possible today too, right, congregation? We have to examine ourselves. In Amos's days too, the people were taken up in that whole prosperity lifestyle. People who had less were even pushed aside. The name of the game was see if you could elbow your way to the top and join the elite financially well-to-do and so on. People with power and influence. People could hardly wait for the Sabbath to be over so they could get back to making money again. Their minds were so busy with the plans for next week they had a hard time concentrating on worship anyway. And as far as they were concerned, God had nothing to do with how they spent or saved their money. That was nobody's business, not God's business either. That can happen today too, right, congregation? We have to examine ourselves. That's not seeking God. See, that you, that you outwardly worship the Lord and that your life is going well as covenant people is not actually evidence of God's favor. Evidence that you've arrived. Going to church and enjoying prosperity isn't the guarantee that you share in God's grace and benevolence. The Lord can give people over to themselves and their stuff to their condemnation too. The Lord Jesus said whoever wants to keep his life will lose it. No wonder the Lord was lamenting in our text. If the Lord isn't what your life centers around, it's like living on a sinking cruise ship with the Bible on board and all the pleasures you want, but it's on the way to the bottom of the ocean. The Lord says to his covenant people in the text, seek me and live. The thing is, does your life center around the Lord? Really, truly center around the Lord and serving him. We live as people of God in a society here which makes prosperity and pleasure and toleration of whatever, what life is supposed to revolve around. This is what life is about, our society says. And then it's not easy for us to keep our heads and hearts right, to keep the Lord at the center of our life. You can push him to the edges of your life before you know it. He becomes an accessory instead of the main thing. 
And you know what would be the worst thing? If you would think too, I don't need to hear that. I need to seek the Lord. I'm doing fine. I have arrived. Others need to hear that, not me. Thinking that you don't need to hear the call of the Lord in the text today as the ultimate foolishness, congregation. That's what Amos is upset about, ultimately. And the Lord is upset about. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Live. Live with God in his grace. Live forever. God places life on an upward trajectory with him over against the downward course of the life Israel was living as shown in Amos 5. Instead of sinking downwards, being lifted upwards, seek me. Living out of God's grace in Christ, living in peace with God as child of God, as heir to eternal life with Christ, seek him and live. People do a lot to be able to stay alive today, right? You can have a life-threatening illness, but you want to live. And you do whatever you can to be able to live. You seek out the best doctors and treatments. Distance, money don't matter. As long as they can help you live or at least improve your quality of life if the illness can't be cured, like an illness of the lungs or the liver or heart disease, you'd even go through a transplant and everything that entails to hold on to life. What would you do to hold on to eternal life then? Would you be willing to give up a lot of things for that too? What would you be willing to give up in order to keep that life that the Lord has promised in Christ? Life with him in perfect peace and joy forever. And this is eternal life, Jesus said, John 17, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Seek him. Seek the life in him. Seek me and live, says the Lord. But again, as the psalmist says, there is no one who seeks God, no one. Sinners can't seek God out of themselves. And by nature, we'd rather throw ourselves completely into this life, even at the cost of eternal life, right? That's how we are by nature. So what a wonder then, if you learn to seek God and keep seeking him in your life, Seek him every day. You learn to, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That, that comes from God that you do that. Via the call of the gospel. Via prayer. Via pleading with the Lord that, that he sends his spirit into your hearts as he promised at your baptism. Lord, please Work with your spirit through the word in my heart and confirm that by the sacraments that I, so that I seek you and keep seeking you. Help me to seek you every day so that I may live, so that I can begin in this life already, eternal life. That's how parents can teach their children, covenant children, to seek God too. Impress that on their hearts when they're still young. They, they, Seek the Lord, and they can do that because the Lord sought them first. 
I read about a young man who wanted to leave home. You know, he was angry at his parents, get away from his father and mother. They hampered his happiness in life. He thought he could find it better somewhere else. Put all his clothes in a suitcase before he left. And his mom went to his room and opened the suitcase. And she taped a house key on the inside under the lid. And the young man left home. And then he opened his suitcase as he was traveling. And he saw the key taped underneath the lid. And every time he opened it, he saw that key under the lid of the suitcase. And that key said to him every time, you can come home again, you know. You can come home again. And he knew he could come home to his mother and father anytime. He could step in the house. He had the key. Baptism is that key here for us. Baptism sought by God the Father, bought with the blood of the Son, with the promise of the Spirit. The Lord God, the triune God, has bound His life to yours forever in the covenant, an eternal covenant, it says. That means you can seek Him, come back to Him time and again. In fact, for all of us, every day again. No matter how far we've traveled away from him, we can come back. The key is there. The way back is open. Let's not end up in outer darkness in hell with the key to heaven in our hands. Seek the Lord and live. Amen.